Good morning, church. Good morning. Good to see you all this week. Well, today we are in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. Luke chapter 14, 25 through 33. And uh, while you're turning over there, I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever committed to something that you didn't really realize what you were getting into at the time? Yeah. Marriage? Oh, man. I was thinking like guitar lessons, but that's a good one. Um, Yeah, that's a very good example. For me, I immediately think of going into middle school. The big thing for guys was to be in football. I didn't watch football. I didn't know anything about it. But if that's what people do in middle school, then that's what I'm going to do. So I signed up to be in it. I remember being on the bus. I used to walk to school, but now that I was in middle school, I I took the bus. And I remember two guys talking and saying, ha, these people that signed up for football have no idea what they're getting into. And I thought, that can't be right. What are they talking about? And I said, yeah, they don't have no idea how how much the coaches yell at you, how physical and violent it is. I just thought, is it too late to not be in football? But I went to practice, and sure enough, they were right. It was, it was tough. It was, uh, I had no idea what I was doing. I told them what position I was playing, but I didn't even know what those positions do. Uh, and I was miserable just my first month of middle school. I hated it. Every day, I would go to the nurse and try to get out of school and go home sick. I, I was not going to football. And eventually, one day, one morning I came, I went to the counselor's office, and I said, I'm done. I'm, I'm out of football. Take me out. Put me in, in art class or something. But I'm out. Well, that was when I hated football. But eventually I made some friends that loved football. We started watching it together. And I started to actually enjoy that sport. And going into high school, I remember thinking, mm, I wish I wouldn't have quit. I wish I would have stayed. Maybe Maybe they'll let me back in if I ask. And so I remember... In 10th grade, so this is three years later, I went to the high school coach and I asked him, can I, can I be in football? And he said, yeah, you can be in football, uh, but you have to be in powerlifting too so you can get stronger. And so I said, okay. Well, I knew what I was getting into this, at this time, but after the first powerlifting practice, after the first football practice, I thought, what have I done? I was free, I made it out, and now I just got back into it. But you know what I said? I'm not quitting this time. I knew what I was getting into this time. I may not have known what I was getting into in middle school, but this time I knew what I was getting into. I knew it was going to be hard, and I'm going to push through it because I knew that it was worth it. I knew that all the hard work was going to be worth it because I was going to get to be a part of something that I admired, part of something that I enjoyed, and part of something that I knew was special. Well, it's interesting because in our passage today, Jesus doesn't say, hey, follow me. And then once people follow him, say, oh, by the way, it's going to be hard. No, Jesus actually says, count the cost of if you're willing to follow me. We've been in a series on callings, basically. The last four weeks, we've looked at different characters in the Bible and their callings and their experience with callings. And we all have different callings in life, but we all share the one calling of discipleship to Jesus. So today I want to go over that big high calling 
of being a disciple, of being a follower of Jesus. So our text, like I said, is verse 25 through 33. It says, Now great crowds accompanied Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Whoa. Doesn't sound like Jesus is trying to sell being his disciple, does it? I mean, of course, Jesus wants us to be his disciple. But a lot of times, salesmen tell you what you want to hear in order to get you to buy what they're selling. But Jesus doesn't seem to do this. No, he says, before you decide to follow me, count the cost. And what is the count of discipleship? Or what is the cost of discipleship? Well, the first thing we see is that the cost of discipleship is bearing one's own cross. Now, we're very familiar with the cross because, you know, we have it in our churches, we wear it around our necks, we see it all the time. And so when Jesus says, you cannot come to me unless you bear your own cross, we sometimes forget that the cross was not a pretty decoration to them. In fact, the cross was about as ugly of a decoration as you could get. It'd be basically like if I said, if anybody wants to follow me, they must be willing to pick up their own electric chair. Now, as gruesome as that sounds, when we hear electric chair, we think, ooh, I don't want any part of that. Well, that's what they would have heard when Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you must bear your own cross. Cross is not something you decorate with. Now we do because we know what it means. It represents how much God loves us. But to them, it didn't have anything to do with God. It had all to do with dying a shameful, torturous, and painful death. But Jesus said, You cannot be my disciple unless you're willing to pick up your own cross. Now, it's funny because sometimes when we talk to people about discipleship, when we talk to people about following Jesus, we tend to tell them how awesome and great it is. And yeah, it is. But once they commit, then we say, oh, well, these are the hard things. These are the difficult things about it. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus is honest with them. Jesus is honest with the crowd because we talked earlier this year about the concept of come and see. We talked about how Philip told Nathaniel when Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, 
Come and see. Well, this crowd, they're coming and they're seeing to see what Jesus is like. This is a big crowd. And it's good to come and see. But Jesus says, eventually, you're going to need to decide. Are you going to follow or are you not? Are you going to be on the team or are you going to be in the stands? Like the story I was telling you earlier, I was in the stands and I was tired of it. I wanted to be on the team. Jesus said, you can be in the stands or you can be on the team. And it's better to be on the team. It's better to be a part of what I'm doing. But just know that if you're going to be on the team, you're going to have to carry a great weight with you. It's not going to be easy. So the first step is to come and see, but eventually a decision must be made. And the first thing that really grabs our attention in this passage is that Jesus says, whoever comes after me and does not hate his mother, his father, spouse, child, or even their own life cannot be my disciple. So we read that and we hear that and we say, was there a typo in my Bible? Um, Did Cody read the passage right today? Jesus doesn't want us to hate our families. Jesus preaches love. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Why is Jesus saying you can't follow me? Jesus, did, did you mean, didn't you mean that you can only follow me if you love your family? But no, he said, you must hate your family and even your own life. Well, this is another time where we have to remember that Jesus didn't walk around speaking English. Jesus walked around speaking Aramaic and Hebrew. Now, when the New Testament was written, it was sent out to certain people who, back in the day, Greek was the big language. And so the New Testament is written in Greek. So it's hard to take Aramaic, what it means, and translate it to Greek, and then translate it to English, and for us to get the exact concept of what Jesus is saying. But really, in Semitic language, so in uh, Aramaic and in Hebrew, hate meant to love less. So Jesus is saying, you cannot follow me unless you love your family and even your life less than me. It's not that Jesus was saying you can't love your family. It's not that Jesus was saying you can't love your life, but he was saying, if you don't love me more than your family or your life, not only can you not follow me, but be honest, you won't follow me. Well, Jesus, no, I can, I can still love my family and my life more and follow you. But Jesus says, no, you can't because I'm going to the cross. Can you really love your family and your life more than me if I'm calling you to give up yourself, to give up your life? I mean, if somebody said, I'm going to the cross, but I have a family and I have a life, wouldn't you think, wow, you must really hate your family. You must really hate your life. Well, on the outside, that would seem true. But if you knew what they were going to the cross for, you would know that, no, it's not that they hate their family or their life. It's that they love something else more. Something else is worth dying for. And Jesus says, I'm worth dying for. My message is worth dying for. And so isn't it logical that if you take up your cross and follow Jesus, you would love your life and your family less? Jesus is using 
comparison to help the audience to see that, hey, if you're on the fence about following me, I'm going to tell you right here and now what's on the line. And Daryl L. Bach, he made a good point when he said, in a first century context, so where they were, to decide for Jesus, for some, actually did mean deciding against family. Those who loved family would not even consider Jesus. Those who loved their own lives more also would not consider Jesus, since trusting him might eventually mean martyrdom. Thus, Jesus' remarks come in the context of what conversion may require. People should understand the cost. So Jesus said, hey, it's good that you're following me. It's good that you're coming and seeing who I am. But if you are going to be my disciple, if you're going to be on my team, you can't do it unless you pick up your cross. And there's no way you're going to pick up your cross or go to the cross if you love your life or your family more than me. So we have to understand that Jesus isn't telling us to hate our family. He's telling us to love everything else less than him or else we just won't be his disciples. It it won't add up. We won't do that. But the second thing that he says is that the cost of discipleship is not only bearing one's cross, but the cost of discipleship is total renovation. Now, sometimes, and I'm sure some people in this crowd came to Jesus for help with certain things. Jesus, uh, my hip hurts. Will you heal my hip? Jesus, uh, I've been struggling with bleeding. Will you heal me of that? We see that all across the Bible. Sometimes people come to Jesus just for one specific thing. And that's true of us today. Some of us may come to Jesus because of a certain sin that we struggle with. Jesus, help me get healthy. Help me to stop doing this certain thing. Some of us come to Jesus because we want it to give us purpose in one area of our lives. Whatever the reason is, usually we come to Jesus for him to fix one or two things. But Jesus says, if you come to me, you're not getting a small little renovation. You're getting a total renovation. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, he was very influenced by a pastor named George MacDonald, and he quotes him in Mere Christianity. He said, I, must, I find I must borrow yet another parable from George MacDonald. So here's the parable. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what God is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you were not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that God is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. So George MacDonald said, and C.S. Lewis said, quoting him, that you may come to... Jesus expecting him to maybe fix the sink. Jesus, renovate the living room. But hey, oh, this hurts. What is, Jesus is knocking the house all around. Well, Jesus didn't come just to fix the sink 
or to rearrange the living room. Jesus came to change you from a cottage to a palace. Jesus, in other words, came to totally renovate your entire life. So if you ask somebody to renovate your house, let's say we're near Waco, so let's use Fixture Upper as an example. Chip and Joanna, will you, will you renovate my house? Sure. Okay, but first, you only have access to the living room and the kitchen. You can't mess with anything else. That wouldn't make sense. Now, if you want your house renovated, you need to surrender all of your house to Chip and Joanna to renovate it. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you let me, I will renovate your life. I will make you new. But he says in, our, in verse um, 33, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus, why would you say that? I like what I have. I like my things. Jesus is not saying you can't have possessions. He's not saying you can't own anything. You can't have anything. He's not even saying you can't have a family. He's saying if you, can't, if you don't renounce those things, you can't be my disciple because I want to renovate all of you. And you need at any point in time to be willing to give up any of those things because I'm not trying to take those things away from you. I'm trying to use those things to make you who you were born to be, who you were called to be. I'm trying to make you the real you. We think, oh, if I give these things away to Jesus, then I'm not going to be myself anymore. But no, Jesus says, if you give them up to me, I'll make you the real you, the truest version of you, the renovated version of you. And so people who are kind of on the fence about following Jesus, Jesus says, there's a high cost to following me. It's a very high cost to following me. You'll have to be willing to give up everything, even your life on a cross. But it's worth it. And that's what C.S. Lewis and George MacDonald were saying. It's worth it because God isn't just taking things away from you and leaving you like you are. No, God is making you into something else. And through you, he's making the world into something else. He's renovating the world that we live in. He's fixing a broken world as he's fixing broken people. So the cost of discipleship is bearing one's own cross. And the cost of discipleship is total renovation. And we even see it in, the, in 2 Corinthians. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. Jesus is calling us to be a new creation, but we can't be a new creation unless we ask God to remake all of us, not just part of us, but all of us. That's why when it comes to callings, we submit all of ourselves to God. And that's why Jesus is calling all of these people to, hey, it'd be good if you're a disciple, but I want all of you, not just some of you, not just part of you. Well, Jesus... It's interesting because Jesus didn't just give us part of himself, did he? Jesus gave him all Jesus gave us all of himself. Jesus had a calling too. Jesus' calling was to go to the cross. He told his disciples time and time again, I'm going to the cross. And sometimes they would push back. Jesus would say, No, that's where I'm going. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be executed. And after three days, I will rise. Jesus knew he had a calling, but Jesus never denied the cost of his calling. Jesus said, 
Like you, I have a cost in my calling. It's a greater cost than any of you have faced, can face, or ever will face. But Jesus considered the cost of his calling to the cross. And he said, yes, it's worth the cost. Sometimes we see something that we like, maybe in a store, and we say, ooh, that's nice. And then we see the cost and we say, oh, it's not that nice. I don't think I'll pay for it. But Jesus said, I'm willing to pay that for you. I'm willing to go to the cross for you. You see, sometimes we say, I'm going to follow Jesus because I have to. I have to follow Jesus. That's what my mom and dad told me to do. That's what my sister or brother told me to do. Um, I want to be saved, so I have, I have to follow Jesus. But we don't have to follow Jesus like that. Because if Jesus is just somebody that you have to follow, then of course you're just going to follow him out of obligation. And when it comes to the cost of discipleship, you're going to say, oh, this isn't worth it. What did I get myself into? Just like the examples that Jesus gave of somebody starting a tower and then realizing, oh, this is too expensive. I can't finish it. And then everybody sees, oh, well, he started this, but he didn't finish it. Or like a king who goes out to war, but then says, oh, I didn't realize the cost of this war. I don't have enough people to fight against the other side. Both of these instances, people jumped into their decision. They didn't really think of what they were getting into. So for those who aren't disciples, it's good to count the cost. But you may be thinking, well, I already am a disciple. I already believe in Jesus. What does this have to do with me? But Jesus didn't just talk about becoming a disciple. He talked about staying a disciple. He said, even if you counted, you know, some people may not have counted the cost. There's still a heavy cost to pay to being Jesus' disciple. But Jesus says, whether you counted it then or whether you count it now, know that it is worth it. And why is it worth it? Well, Jesus said, I'm going to the cross because you're worth it. Because people are worth it. Everybody in this room, Jesus said, you're worth it to go to the cross. And when we realize that, we don't have to say, well, I have to follow Jesus just because I have to. But we follow Jesus because we say, wow, Jesus thought I was worth living for and dying for. I mean, he could have lived up right next to the Father, but he said, no, I'm going to come down so that I can bring my sheep in, so that I can save them from what they've done to themselves. When you realize that Jesus laid down his life for you, that's when you can lay down your life for Jesus. Because these people didn't realize who Jesus was, how much he cared about them, how much he loved them. And not even the disciples totally realized that. And what happened when it became time to pay the cost of discipleship when Jesus was arrested? They all bailed. They all ran away because they underestimated the cost of discipleship because they felt obligated to follow their teacher. But when they realized that Jesus knew he was going to be arrested, when he told them all along, I'm going to die for you, then they were able to say, I can pay the cost of discipleship because it's worth it. It's a high cost. It's even death on a cross. And we even talked about it in Bible study today. Paul said, I've been beaten up more times than I can count. I've been shipwrecked. I mean, who would pay that cost for something unless they really truly believed that it was all worth it? Paul knew how loved he was 
through what Jesus did for him. And so when we are called to anything, but especially the high calling of being a Jesus disciple, being a Jesus follower, we can accept that calling because we know, because we know that Jesus considered us worth following his calling for, for. And when we realize that Jesus considered us worthy of dying on the cross, we can say, Jesus, you are worth the cost of discipleship. I know you paid the great cost, but you're worth every penny of following you. No matter what I face, I can do it because I've counted cost and I truly believe that Jesus, you are worth it. Let's pray. God, I pray that even if we are disciples, that we would not underestimate what you call us to, God. A lot of it is hard. A lot of it's hard work. A lot of it's painful psychologically, emotionally, and physically, God. But God, we're not going to quit because we know that it's all worth it. It's so worth it to be a part of what you're doing. It's worth it to tell others about the best part of our life. It's worth it to know that you considered us worth dying for, and God, because you consider us worth dying for, God, we can pick up our crosses and follow you to the cross because we know that the cross is not the end of the story, God. You came out of the tomb. You were resurrected, God. You call us to resurrection life. And resurrection life is worth the cross, God. And we know that suffering... And going to the cross is not what gives us life. We know you doing that is what gives us life, God. But we know, God, that following you out of the tomb means that we die to ourselves. A death is involved, a giving up of ourselves, God. So we want to give up ourselves to you. We want to surrender our lives to you because you made our lives. You saved our lives and you love our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.